thankful to be here. Um, this message, I was praying about this message, and it, it, it what came to mind to me on the scripture I chose is I, I read once an interview with Bono from U2. He was talking, he was talking about writing a, a record that I really liked, and he described himself like a diver who's going down and like digging up jewels. And then he ended up writing another record because there was more treasure in this, in, in this area. And so two weeks ago, he, uh, those who went on the retreat may remember that Dr. Fain, pre, he was teaching out of 1 Corinthians 2, and he was bringing to us the realization of the, um, the lost, the, car, the, uh, the natural man, he, he, he taught us, who was lost, the carnal Christian who uh, was still like, sitting on the throne of their life, knew Jesus, but still like trying to figure out their own lives, and then the spiritual Christian who uh, is yielded to the Lord. He was kind of really teaching an amazing way for us to, to walk with God. And then Matt, uh, a week ago, he was teaching in 1 Corinthians 4 during our devos. And so I've been in that, camp, you know, he was talking about just um, how we don't judge each other and how our judgment's pretty skewed because of this. And so I was in this whole area, and so we are landing today, right, between... 1 Corinthians 2 and 4, and we will be unpacking the chapter um, that Paul wrote to the, that church. And, uh, and so as, before we do that, I, uh, I want to just have three questions we're going to consider today for you guys to think about. The first is, who are we following? Who are we following, really? The second question is, how are we following them? And the last question we're going to consider today out of this chapter is what foundation is our life being built on? And so let's do that. Let's pray. Um, Father, we are, uh, God, we are thankful, Lord, that you gave us your, your, we just sang about it, we gave you Jesus, you gave us Jesus, you gave us a, a Holy Spirit that lives within us, God. You can guide us, God. You give us your word, Lord. We just pray that you would speak uh, by your spirit, through your word, to all of us, God. So we just give this time and we yield to you, Lord. And just pray, God, that for each alumni, each student, each faculty and staff here, God, that we would, we would hear from you, Lord. We know the, the Sunday school answer about who we're supposed to follow, God. But I just pray, Lord, we, do, we always need to be reminded by your spirit of where where we might be trusting other than you, Lord. And God, you just desire for us to just fully put ourselves onto you, Lord, to free us, God. So we just pray, Lord, that you would have your way and you would teach us what, what you intend to teach us. And so we give this time to you, Lord. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, thanks to Dr. Williams, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation because uh, he gave me a copy of that this year and I just haven't really put it down. So I just think it reads really well. So um, starts off, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Here's that term again. He's talking about mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Now he unpacks the signs in, in Galatians 5. I'm just going to read those. Of those 
who live by the sinful nature. And I'm just going to read that real quickly here. When you fo- this, is, this is Paul in, in uh, the book of Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that is a great way to, to see. If we are living by the flesh, by our sinful nature, those, that's the litmus test of what comes out. And that's what Paul's talking to. He's realizing, like, you're not, you're not mature Christians because you guys, you guys are operating in this way. And so he says, he goes on to say, in, in verse, he says, you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Here we are. I mean, he listed that again specifically. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? Isn't that what, don't we know that? I mean, we know that even in the church, but certainly look at the world. And, we, and, we, and people are picking their tribes, and they're picking their leaders, and who they're going to fall after, and it happens in the church too. You know, what teachers we follow, we kind of we put that on our, on our bumper stickers like we talked about during a family feud a couple weeks ago. We can tell a lot about our bumper stickers by, uh, you know, and the personality. You can tell a lot about somebody by the preachers they follow, the teachers they follow. What Paul's saying here is that when you identify yourself by the teachers, by Paul, Apollos, both were good teachers, by the way. He wasn't talking about false teachers here. He was talking about Paul, the great apostle. He's talking about himself. He's talking about Apollos, who was known as like the eloquent teacher. So we're not talking about false teachers. We're talking about people who are identifying themselves with good teachers. And guys, students, alumni, we've had some phenomenal teachers and have phenomenal teachers here. And what Paul's unpacking here, and he's going to say specifically, that while we learn from our mentors and teachers, and they are important, they are God's agents in our life, they're not God. And they're not the ones that are growing us. He's about to tell us who actually grows us through all of the agents that are doing their work. And so... There's signs of that when we, when we are attaching ourselves to names and tribes. Here's the warning and the signs of immaturity that this type of thinking does. We stop thinking for ourselves. Listen, it's easier to find a tribe. A lot of denominations, a lot of good groups, people, I've met them and I've been that myself. It's, you, find, you stop thinking for yourself because you find a tribe that you're like, I know the rules, I agree with the rules, and oftentimes it's like I stop seeking Christ and his truth because I found my group, and I'll easily refer to what the leader says and not think through and pray through what Christ is teaching us. 
It's easier to believe what some, a human person tells us. And it's good. We need mentors and we need to be trained. There's a time for that. But we're, not, we're supposed to be mature Christians. That means we don't need a priest and we don't need Moses anymore. We don't need anybody else. We have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so he uses, he uses people in our lives, and it's an honor to be used. But they aren't Christ. And it's a big warning for... He obviously... This is a church that was gifted, that was on, they were working hard. Obviously, there was correction to be had. They thought they were... They were doing it, and they thought they were smart and mature, but that's not what he said. He said, because you are naming your teachers above Christ, it's a sign of your immaturity. And I would say, because in one way, you stop thinking, you stop, you stop seeking, and stop really listening to, to what Christ is saying. And apparently, this is what the world acts like, according to what Paul said. This kind of behavior is worldly behavior. It's like you're lost again. It's like the natural man again. You either listen to yourself or listen to the best teacher you have, and that's the best. When Christ wants to teach us himself. Himself. That word follower, I was struck by that in this reading and this study. Boy, isn't that the exact word they use when we're following Twitter followers and following Facebook? Like, it's not, like, it's such an interesting similarity. Think about who you're following on your social media. What does that say about what you're going after? Who are you following? Is it a podcaster or a good preacher? I mean, I've taken a lot of media that way. I learn a lot, too. Is it a worship leader or a certain band? An actor or a celebrity? Politicians, we're living in that time. We've got an election coming up here and. Why do we follow them? Think about this. Why is it that you follow who you follow in your social media? Obviously, there's something we admire about their message or the way they live their life. Their message and what they stand for. Maybe we admire their skills and talents, and it's sort of an aim. We become what we look at, what we follow. And so again, there's a lot of good people that are, we can learn from and follow. Even on social media, maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I take in a lot of media. I'm not on social media. You guys know that. And somehow I survived. You know, some people think that if they, they don't have a Facebook or an Instagram or whatever account, TikTok or whatever, that they're not going to survive. I'm, I live. I'm alive. Although I do spend a fair amount of time on YouTube and taking that media. So I'm not saying that I don't take it in. But Think about why, for a minute, who you're following and what is it about them that you are trying, that you spend your focus and attention on. And how do we follow our spiritual mentors? Pretty similarly, actually. We read their books, we listen to them, we sit under their teaching. We may even come to their school. The question I will get back to, but I will start it now. How is it that we follow Jesus? Does he have an Instagram page? Does he run on YouTube? We can't podcast him. And somehow, 
in a way we can't physically sit underneath them. I'm going to come back to that question. How do we follow Jesus? Picking up in verse 5. After all, so after everything Paul is saying, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? In actuality, he's asking, who are these mentors and teachers of yours? Here's Paul in his humility and truth. We are only God's servants through whom you came to believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seeds in your heart. Paulos watered it. Here it is. But it was God who made it grow. I just want to do a quick aside here. Careful of the seeds that are being planted in your heart. Do not think that when you're watching things that are not God-glorifying, that there's nothing being planted in your heart, because there is. So beware of what's going to grow. I planted the seed in your heart, that seed of the gospel, the good news, that we are sinners, that we are in deep trouble, and we were separated from God. But Jesus came to pay our debt. And through faith in Him and putting our trust in Him, are we able to come back to the Father and we are saved and we experienced what we were meant to experience. That's what Paul, the great apostle, was planting and Apollos was teaching. It's like this, the teachings of, of the gospel and the, the, the kerygma and the didache, I think are the Greek words. It's the gospel and the teachings. The teachings, when you don't skip the gospel and you don't go around, you don't like get through the gospel and move to the teachings you never leave the foundation of the gospel. All the teachings are built on that. We can't even, like read the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's impossible to do on your own. We can't even attempt to do it unless we are in the place of yielding and knowing that we are sinners that need grace. And it's the Spirit of God living through us that are able to in those moments where we are able to obey and there's some fruit, something eternal is happening here. Something eternal. And so he's saying, in verse 7, it's not important who does the planting and who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. He's taken himself off the worship pedestal. Guys, do not worship your mentors. They can't handle it. They can't handle it. We live in the age of the fallen preachers. It's sad. And, it, and it's, like, it's like a precursor to the judgment coming in the end. Everything that was in Christ gets washed away. We all have names of teachers that have fallen. Maybe I know I do. And it's wondering again. People that I listened to, people I grew from, was it all just lies? Was I just in awe of a man? Guys, don't worship our, your, your mentors. They can't handle it. We, you know, these mentors, these great preachers, tens of thousands, some, some of them are told how great a preacher they are. Who are they to tell them they're wrong? <laughs> and the point is, it's Christ that's perfect, not the teacher. They're still on their journey too. Johnny Fain told me, don't read any memoirs of somebody who's still alive. I think it's a good word, huh? I think it's a good word. Verse 8. The one who plants 
And the one who waters works together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their hard work. For we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. And you are God's building. Alumni, students, again, I say to you, I've said it already. We have the blessing of sitting under phenomenal teaching and preparation to do the work that you are each individually called to do. And it's Christ that's preparing you. It's Christ. And all the professors will tell you that. And they're on, they'll come in and say, you can learn. I'll teach you what I know, but it's Jesus you need. I tell people that in the counseling room, too. They don't need me. They, don't need, they need Jesus. I can't heal anybody's problems. But Christ can. And that's our job, is to usher them to the Father. Usher them to Jesus. He says in verse 10, Because of God's grace to me, notice what he didn't say, not his skill, not his wisdom, not his money or number of followers, it's because of the grace that God gave to me, Paul says, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. When I was imagining what he was saying here in this analogy of who, Jesus and who he is in the gospel and this foundation that we build on, man, that is immovable. I was thinking, I, in my high school years, I worked as a mason tender. So that was like a bricklayer. You know, I was running, getting yelled at by the masons, making, stripping and building staging and, and uh, carrying blocks and making mud. And one job we did was setting this huge stone and it was like the footstep. It was, I don't know how much it weighed. It came on a flatbed and we had to forklift and we didn't want to plow through the, the, the grass and ruin the grass. So we stuck the boom out all the way. And then like, like a skill, he says, like an expert builder, these masons, I was there, we're setting this thing and trying to slide it off because once it landed, it wasn't going to move. <laughs> it wasn't going to move. And like a, like a skilled mason... Paul is setting this foundation down of who Christ is, and he's about to tell us what we're supposed to build our life on. I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Verse 11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. It's a warning. He's warning us. What other foundations can we build on? It certainly seems like people were trying to build their foundations on a teacher, on somebody else, or maybe themselves in their own skill. Anyone, verse 12, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has value. Guys, we are all going to face that day when we're gonna, everything, all, everything we did is going to be revealed for what it is. And I was praying about it. I mentioned it briefly at Devo's last night. But I wanted to hold the fire a little bit, so I didn't unpack it like I'm about to right now. 
The days of, of accountability and the days of judgment, that some of those days happen before the judgment day too. There are moments when everything comes to the light. And that's scary. It's in the Old Testament. I mean, the judgment in Old Testament was due to sin. It was warning and like trying to heat, stop, turn back to me. And then there was times where it was just judgment came. And it was in grace. And some people need to experience the consequences in the grace of God to grow. And so if you're building on something other than Christ right now, he's saying beware. If the work survives, verse 14, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is built is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Get this, the builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through the wall of flames. He's not talking about salvation, is he? He's talking about somebody who truly has Christ in them and, and will be saved, but they'll have no reward. Their lives will have meant nothing. That's a scary thought. Nothing of eternal value. So I'm going to ask you, what is of eternal value? I'm going to tell you what's eternal value is people. Is the souls that come to the Lord. And it's Him. And nothing apart from Christ will survive the judgment. It all will be burned. Verse 16, don't you realize, this is like exclamation point right here, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. He's talking about something that is so mind-blowing if it actually comes from here down into here. We are the body of Christ. He unpacks later in his letter about every, every single person who comes to it has something specific that Jesus has intended for their lives to mean. This, you are, we are now the temple of God. <laughs> Let that say, statement sink in. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. Verse 17. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You are that temple. Can destruction of God's temple happen to God's people? Can the division we experience in the body of Christ be destructive? Can the tribes, can the leaders... Can I follow this person and that person? Can that be destructive to the unity of the body of Christ? Can that be a sign of immaturity and not maturity as a Christian? Paul says, 18, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become like a fool to truly be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snares of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. 
So don't boast about following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter, he's talking about the teachers, whether our teachers or the world or life and death or the present or the future, everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. He is building this amazing unity that we have of the body of Christ together. Jesus prayed for this in John 17. This is remarkable. You think that Jesus got his prayers answered when he asked the Father? 17, starting at 20. I am praying, this is Jesus, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me, guys. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. (laughs) I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they will be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you have loved me. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. That is what we are part of. It doesn't feel like that most days. But that's the truth of what the Word says. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and we start getting more surrendered to the fact that we are following Christ and not a teacher, we are brought into this one body that is made to be united, that's made to be the light of the world, that's made to bring the world to Jesus. That's eternal. The money, the houses, all this stuff, the buildings we're building, that's not eternal. That's all going down. What's eternal are those, is Christ and us. We're one. I don't understand it, it's, but it's there, and it's pretty clear. We're one. We're one. I'll finish. No, no, not quite finished. So come back to the question I asked earlier. How do you follow Christ? Listen to your godly teachers. Students, listen to your professors. Listen to your godly teachers. Because God is growing you through them. They're not growing you. They're doing their hard work. They will be rewarded with you. The fruit you bear, that's part on them. Because it's all the Lord bearing the fruit. It's all the Lord. So listen to your godly teachers, too. Spend time with Jesus himself. Man, we were blessed to have Johnny and Debbie do that that retreat we had. They were bringing us into how to have a quiet time. I don't know that there's a more important thing to do to teach us on how to be with Jesus. Learning how to hear his voice. Learning how to drink from his word and obey when he speaks. When When that quiet time that we should have every day When he speaks 
to obey what he's telling you to do. I told some of you guys about some recent stories about a name that I didn't want to call and it came up in my quiet time and what God did. Some of you guys know that. Obey even when you don't want to or when you're afraid. I, some of you guys, a lot, probably half the student body at this point now, I've kind of surveyed about the cell phone. You guys all kind of, those I've talked to know, that thing we call a phone is not a phone. I've been trying to figure out what it is. It isn't a phone. It's some sort of something else. It is some sort of, Elon Musk, he describes it as being like we've become cyborgs. And I think it's some sort of window into this like false reality. The cell phone is the modern window, I'm suggesting to you, to follow the world and its leaders. The Bible, I'm talking about paper and ink, is the timeless window to follow Jesus. I've asked, I've asked, I grew up in the time before cell phones, so I'm not attached to mine. So I was asking the students, like, honestly, do you guys think you can have a spirit-filled quiet time with your cell phone in it? I got everyone said no that I talked to of the students. And many of these students, when I suggested to them about fasting their cell phone, got visibly anxious about that idea. Wanted to, but they, they admitted to me they do not believe that a cell phone has a place in a quiet time with the Lord. So I'm going to suggest to you, do not use your cell phone in your quiet time. And if you have to fast, I'm suggesting to fast it. I have, I have one of the students here, I have his cell phone in my apartment right now because he decided to take me up on that offer. Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he, he said if there's, a, if there's something like your eye or your hand causing you to sin, he took some pretty extreme measures, pluck it out, cut it off. I would say the modern example of fasting is not food. That will, that will free you to really connect, not with followers of Christ, but Christ himself is to fast your cell phone. Do it for a day. One other key to your quiet time is this. Show up. Show up. Set the time and show up. We kind of got an example of this with that video. Those who were at Founders Week, we had the, um, Dr. Patterson gave an awesome video to President Ballard. You might remember something. He was, he was making the distinction here too. He jokingly said, but seriously said, he said, Mark, good thing you know the difference between Paige Patterson's voice and the voice of God because I told him not to start this school. But thankfully, he did not listen to the voice of Dr. Patterson. He listened to the voice of God. And in that, we have an example of what it means to have godly mentors who are giving us, at times, godly advice that may not be God. And so even our own president, who we admire, know the difference between God's voice and his mentors. And finally, with this... um, The foundation of your life. I've said it, but I'm going to suggest to you again, if you build on anything else other than Christ, it will not last. 
I'm going to close the story. It's a, it's, it's a testimony, really. And it's a time that I learned that lesson. Many of you guys know I was 17 years in Steelbridge fabrication, and some of you know that it was a hard journey through. Ten years ago this time, I uh, went through uh, one of the hardest things I ever went through in my life. A man who I hired and a man who had a daughter about the same age as me was killed in an industrial accident that I witnessed and tried to save and we couldn't. I won't go into the details of that, but I can tell you it was heartbreaking. And there was a lot of hard stuff that happened there. And two weeks from the date of the accident, the date and time of the accident, it was a Friday afternoon at 1.35. We had a moment of silence. And at this time, I was realizing that all my efforts at this place, and I even afterwards, I was realizing I was working for the Lord, but I was not seeing anything happen. I was getting slowly burnt out. But two weeks after that accident happened, the Lord laid it on my heart very clearly that I was to pray with our, this, the men of steel as we gathered. And I told the Lord, no, I'm not doing that. And we wrestled through that all day. I remember walking through the shop, and I was in this conversation, and I said, I'm not doing that, God. He laid it so heavy that I was going to pray. And so we got to that time, and we gathered, and like on cue, like on a film, I got prompted by the Spirit, nobody was there, and I took my hard hat off, and I went into the center, and I prayed a prayer for his surviving wife and for his daughter, who is exactly the same age as my oldest daughter. We were racing to see who was going to be born first. And that was it. And I lasted three and a half more years later, and I quit on a Friday. Totally burnt out. And so I came here. This is the only door that opened was to come to school. I was suggested to be a pastor. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to pursue counseling, mostly because I think I really, really, really needed it. I was so burnt out, I thought I had cancer. I thought I was sick. I came here, and I found some mentors and friends of my life, and Dr. Sweet's one of them. And there was one weekend where I started to unpack and start to heal, and we had, he and I, Dr. Sweet and I, had planned on going to a, a um, chaplain tra training in Massachusetts. And we were going to get trained, and... Uh, he was, we were still commuting. So Dr. Sue was still in Randolph. I was still in New Hampshire. We were commuting, and I didn't take my car. And so I rode with a guy who some of you guys know, Jason Klebs. We were ministering together in Claremont, New Hampshire, and kids. And I rode with him. He was going to drop me off, and Dr. Sweet was going to drop me home on the way home. And on the ride down, Jason tells me that a girl got saved. I said, huh, who's that? He said, actually, she was somebody. Her dad used to work with you. And you know where the story's going. Skyler Bates got saved. That girl I prayed for came to that place broken and she gave her life to Jesus and he's telling me that and I'm just, I can't believe what's going on here. And I'm realizing like, I thought everything I did was nothing and most of it went away. And so he tells me that and I'm not sure what, quite what to do with that and we go through our classes and Dr. Sweet and I drive down and I share a little bit of that and 
we stayed that night and uh, well, I get to get to this trauma thing and I realize I'm listening to this. They brought in an FBI uh, chaplain who comes in and responds to uh, mass shootings and huge tragedies. There was a lot of dead. And she's explaining about the stages of tragedy and I'm realizing that I'm in the red zone. That I was actually snapped and I wasn't going back. And the school, I can tell you the school and the mentors in every class God used to heal my heart and still being healed from all that. And so I'm there, and I can't sleep that night. We're sleeping. I don't even know what town it was. It was a red roof inn. I do remember that. 15 minutes away from the BC&E, and we're at night, and I can't sleep, and I don't know what to do with any of this. And it's 3 a.m. I remember it was 3 a.m. because I wasn't sleeping. All I can tell you is that night I had... The deepest cry of my heart of realizing, like, I don't know if my life even matters, but somehow it matters because this girl came to the Lord. And this prayer that I prayed in public that I didn't want to do, but I did, was answered by a girl who is eternally in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know where her father is, but I watched him die. But I know his daughter is in heaven, and we're going to see her. And all I can do is surrender to a sovereign God that I can't completely understand. And more and more to give our lives to something that, the only thing that really matters, it's Christ. And so all, the only words I had to describe what happened after that, I cried out to him. And somehow, I don't know what happened, I was in touch with the immovable Christ. And in that time when I was crying, I could just sense that beyond death and tragedy and everything that you guys have been through, because I know some of your stories, you guys have been through things that are horrible. We can't reconcile it this side of heaven. I don't know. But I know that he is immovable beyond that. I know it. There's nothing else besides Jesus that we could set our life on. Nothing else. That's what I'm here to tell you as alumni and as somebody who feels like his life has been failure after failure after failure by the world standards for sure. But you know what? I know Christ. And I was starting to think back, like, you know what? The eternal work that I have, I can name you some men, Glenn, Steve, and Ed, who were lost, guys I worked with every day that I know came to the Lord. I didn't realize that at the time. I just saw failure. And there was many others that I believe the Lord used for me to encourage in their faith. And I don't know. And that's nothing to do with me, I can tell you that. Because I was not a good example sometimes. I was broken. But it was Christ. And it's Christ in each one of you that's calling you to fit, be in your place and to build a life centered on Him. We won't regret it, guys. We will not regret it. That's what I have, is Jesus. And I'm thankful to be here. I can't believe how good God is to me, to be able to just be part of this movement and to be part of your lives. I mean that. I mean that because, um, man, I wish I was a Christian when I was your age. Could have saved a lot, but that's just not the way it is. Somehow, somehow God knows what he's doing. Somehow. So I just encourage you. Trust him. Build on him. He's the rock that is not going to move. Let's pray.
We just love you, God. We're in awe of you, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would draw each of us to yourself. God, that we would just meet with you, Lord. You would guide us. You would heal us. You'd open our eyes, God, to see you. And we're just thankful, God. Thankful for teachers, thankful for, for, for mentors, and thank you, God, most of all, that you use everything, everything to bring you glory. I pray, God, that each of us would see others, the lost, the hurting, God, and we would know it's eternal. And so I just, we just bless your name today, God. We are in awe of you and thankful to be part of what you're doing here and for choosing us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.